Well, Mike, we have made it. Episode number 50 of The Night Shift, where you can follow us in all 50 of our episodes and hopefully 50 more to come on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. We're up at globalnews.ca, Megaphone as well, at Stubbs980 on socials, at Kyle Grimard. And, Mike, we have got a lot to break down. Three games, actually, between the London Knights and the Kitchen Rangers in round two, the Western Conference semifinal matchup. And, you know... Right now, as it stands, Mike, the home team has been victorious. That has stayed pat from the first two games in London to game three in Kitchener on Sunday afternoon. Mike, you've been calling all the games so far. And as of right now, the Knights with a two to one series lead with game four happening in Kitchener on Tuesday. How wild is it, Kyle, that we went into this series and there were conversations about, wow, I mean, if this goes to overtime, seven times we shouldn't be surprised that's how close things seem on paper we haven't had a game decided by fewer than four goals yet what a series oh it's been it's been wonderful the cloud the crowds have been electric as well and that's kind of you know the big turning point from what happened in game three before we get to game three mike games one and two the Knights come out, they make a statement in game one with a 5-1 win. The very next day, they play a back-to-back on a Thursday, Friday. They jump out to a 6 nothing and 7-2 lead and eventually hold on for an 8-4 win. And, you know, the London Knights scoring a combined 13 goals in the first two games. All of a sudden, that makes a big switch afterwards. But that home ice advantage, Mike, has really been a factor so far in this. Well, let's look at the two buildings. Look at how loud things were. And Kyle, you can speak to this. You are the in-game host at Budweiser Gardens. You are in the crowd. So you can talk about how loud things were, especially in game two on Friday night. And yesterday in Kitchener, they, and this is the way that the numbers break down on this. The Kitchener Rangers, if we look at how many people they can put in the building and how many people they did put in the building, the building seats 7,135 at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. They sold 7,350 tickets for yesterday. There was a lot of standing room, and it was deep. And it was loud. So you've got two buildings filled to the brim for games two and three, and everybody is making noise. The atmospheres, you bet they've played a role. Oh, and it's just been, it's been really amazing to see from both sides of it. You know, London throws the first punch with a Thursday, Friday, Friday's a sellout game at Bud Gardens. And what does Kitchener do two days later? They sell out and then some, they rock the auditorium. They end up winning six, one. And now the series is a two to one matchup. And Mike, we knew that uh, the captain for the Kitchener Rangers, Francesco Pinelli was going to miss the first two games. He returns game three, and what does he do? Makes an immediate impact and scores the first goal of the game. He does, and this was a late power play that went to the London Knights. Remember, Francesco Pinelli tied for the league lead in shorthanded goals in the OHL this year. He had five of them in 60 games. Then if you go back to the first-round series against Windsor, he only played in three of the four games, Kitchener had four shorthanded goals on 17 Windsor power play opportunities, and he had two of those goals. His first three goals in the playoffs were all shorthanded goals because he scored one then. And Jim Van Horn seemed to sense that something like this could happen. Well, Pinelli uh, out there to kill, and you got to watch him as he's a shorthanded goal 
specialist, so be very careful with this puck. 18 seconds remaining in the period. Puck around to the right side, poked out the center ice. Here is a pass ahead to Pinelli. Off his skate to a stick, a breakaway in. Scores! Francesco Pinelli. And with 8.7 seconds left. And this crowd is on their feet. This was a board battle, one in the Kitchener Rangers zone. They get the puck out, and Pinelli is breaking. This is something Kitchener is prepared to do. They plan to do when they get the opportunity. And credit Pinelli. Sometimes you look, and a great player makes a great play. If you go back and you watch the replay of this, the way that he was able to take the pass off his skate, get it to his stick, have a defender with him, he had a partial break, and then get in on Brett Brochu. He didn't make the prettiest deke, that's for sure, but he got the puck in the net and that is what Francesco Pinelli came out to do yesterday he was a whatever it takes mentality and it carried the team with him it really did it carried the team and that was when you go back to games one and two the Knights outcompeted the Kitchener Rangers their compete level was off the charts Kitchener matched and then surpassed what London was able to do Kitchener was winning those 50-50 puck battles in game three it makes such a difference it created Kitchener's second goal on the power play and it's just Kitchener having found that level that they need to play at the Knights had been playing at it and so now the Knights go back into game four back into Kitchener and they go looking to match that the Knights I think Kyle, when you play in an atmosphere like that, I think it really did affect Kitchener in the first two games for the atmosphere, the home atmosphere that London had. And then let's go back to last year in the playoffs. The London Knights and the Kitchener Rangers met in round one, but we've got to remember back that we had an awful lot of people who weren't ready to go back into a setting like that. We were at a different point in this pandemic. And because of that, the largest crowd that Kitchener had was 4,700. And that was in game six of the first round. This was over capacity, basically, at Kitchener Memorial Auditorium for game number three. And it's something that you have to be used to. You have to adjust to. The Knights have now experienced that. I think that helps them for game four. Well, I think so as well. And, you know, it's uh, there. Sean McGurn made a post and, and uh, there's a quote from him saying that, you know, it, yes, it was six one. But, you know, you got to remember, we're six and one in the playoffs. We're a very tough team to beat back to back times in a row. And when I said that, Mike, you immediately went to part of that being coaching. And you think Dale Hunter, you know, once the game was maybe four or five one, you know, gives his he gives his main guys a little bit of a rest. Maybe the game's out of reach a little bit with not a little time left and almost like in preparation where it's not a, not a marathon or not a sprint. It's a marathon. That's right. Dale has such a feel for the game of hockey. And when Kitchener scored two goals in 29 seconds to begin the third period, you saw Brett Brochu come to the bench for no other reason than let's give this guy a chance to get a break if things get a little wild if if guys are getting too close to the crease let's make sure that that he's okay and it also gave Zach Bowen an opportunity to get into that atmosphere which only got louder as the game got later yep and so that's something that Dale will do he will start to look ahead to the next game and you think well yeah but but you could have come back okay well what if you come back and you wind up losing 4-3 and you spend everything you have 
trying to do that. There are times in a series, because it isn't a sprint, because it is a marathon, where you can take those opportunities. And if you say to the other team, hey, you, you know what? You got this one. You were full marks for this one. But there's another one, and we're going to be ready for that one. Well, there's going to be another one, and then there will be a game five as well. So that game will be taking place in London, whether there's a game six and seven is to be determined. But, you know, there's also a lot of people who talk about, you know, the playoffs and how it's such a roller coaster. And, you know, you've mentioned before over the course of a regular season, if you're a fan, if you follow all of the tiny little aspects and attention to detail situations, it's exhausting. And I feel like the same thing can be said, Mike, if you're a player as well, where you can't, you can't really go in and have all of that. You've just got to be even keel because, you know, you have a quote from someone basically saying that, you know, one day in the playoffs, you're feeling great. And the next you know, it's, it's a lot tougher to bounce back. Yeah. That was Mike McKenzie, the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers. He told the Kitchener record quote, you feel like crap one day and on top of the world, the next. And isn't that the exact truth? And especially in a junior hockey playoff series where where those highs can sometimes seem so big and where you are getting scores in the playoffs that are 8-4 and 6-1 and 5-1 like in this series and they are going back and forth it is a seven game series but each of those games always tell a different story we went back through a series that the knights were in in 1999 on the broadcast in one of the first two games of the series and it was a series that knights fans talk about the one against the plymouth whalers yep and it was a second round series and plymouth was an absolute juggernaut the knights were a really good team they got to within one win of the memorial cup that year but you look at the games and the way that the scores tilted back and forth and then some absolute blowouts going back and forth in the late part of that series that concluded with a 10-3 win in game seven. You never know. Every game is a different story. Yeah, it's it's wild to think how a series can go seven games, but the scores are... 10-3 and just crazy and that's what this series has been so far it's a two-to-one series it's only off by a game but the scores have been (laughs) 5-1-8-4-6-1 not your 3-2 that we'll probably see a lot of in the NHL playoff not your 3-2 but this is just the way that these two games have been played and again Kitchener upping their compete level you knew it was coming Kyle we talked about it so often going into this series And then when it began, the Knights, they were using their quickness and it was working very effectively. And I really think that it wasn't necessarily anything more than something else Sean McGurn pointed to, that passes just weren't clicking. He told the London Free Press passes weren't, you know, weren't clicking. They weren't as good on face-offs. Sean McGurn dominated in the face-off circle in game number one. He still has a point in every game in the playoffs so far this year. He's had a run. But there were some questions as to whether Sean McGurn should be allowed to drop to a knee or two knees on the faceoff circle. And then there isn't a rule in the OHL rule books. And so the the faceoff battle has been interesting. Watch McGurn and whoever he is taking on because there, there are adjustments going on throughout a playoff series as to how everything is being done. And McGurn is exceptional in the face-off circle. The Rangers are making some different adjustments. The Rangers really did well on face-offs in game three. Face-offs give you puck possession. Puck possession anymore in this game, it helps to lead you to a victory, sometimes by multiple goals. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, I think... 
you know, you talked about the coaching as well with the Knights. And I think the one thing that Dale and, and that staff has really done a good job is allow the players to let themselves, you know, make themselves accountable, Mike. And that's something big that you know when you're a teenager or a young man especially going from the ohl whether it's in the life whether it's in the next stage of your hockey career but accountability learning from what you can do and what you can change i think is a big factor that i think runs well in this london knights team well and that's exactly a great point we talked with rick stedman about this late last week and this is something that you want when you look at championship teams they all have coaches but some of the most important instruction comes from within. And so when we were talking with Rick Stedman last week and we were talking with him before game number two, it was something that he pointed to. It, it just gets a great accountability. Um, it comes from the top down and then from the, uh, the the bottom back to the top. And it's a great thing when they're they're telling each other, "Oh, we got to do this." You said you would. Let's let's buy in. Let's do it. It's it's for it's for the guy sitting next to him, not for anybody else. So it's great once they get into that because then they're playing as a team. They're playing for what's on the front of the jersey and not what's on the back. And they don't care what happens, who scores, who does what out there, and they're just cheering for everybody. It's a it's a great way to be. The ability to call each other out. And I always compare it to a family. And if you look at, again, a real success of the London Knights, it really comes from what Mark and Dale Hunter grew up with. And it comes from the family of or family values that their parents, that Dick Hunter, helped to instill in them. And they run their team like a family. Dale has said, I have 25 sons. The players will talk about being brothers. And I mean, they're not the only team that will work that way. But in a family, the strongest families can call each other out. Hey, you were supposed to take out the trash and you didn't. And now look, it's piling up in the garage. You've got to take out the trash. You can call people out for simple little things. We all play a role to keep this place clean and organized. Otherwise, things fall apart. You have to be able to do that. And if you can, you've got a real strength. And that's something that exists in the London Knights dressing room. They're not afraid to say, your job is this, and you've got to do it. You know what team was known for doing that? And I, I don't want to lay a comparison here, but it just shows that this is an important factor in success. The 0405 team, the team of the century, was famous for going into the dressing room and each guy would know what his role was. And if he wasn't doing it, then the other guys would say, you're, you know, you're off today. What's going on? And then that player would up his game. There were times when that team trailed. I can remember a game against the Peterborough Peets. They're down 5-2 after two. They go into the dressing room. They sort some things out. They won the game 7-5. And Peterborough was a good team. It's crazy to think how, you know, accountability and ownership of certain things eventually rallies yourself to go, okay, this is what I can take moving forward. There's also a sense of putting your ego aside and understanding that you you can make a mistake and that you can learn from it. And like, I, I think that this is what this team is capable of doing. And we're going to see how they respond on Tuesday night. But, you know, Mike, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's a topic we'll eventually just have to kind of get through here. I know you are a big, you know, you're not a big advocate on talking about a officiating anything like that but it's something that always comes up whether you're looking at nhl whether whatever whatever league you're watching and you know it's in, in the friday night game the london knights received nine power play opportunities and it was spoken afterwards after the game from the kitchen ranger side that uh officiating played a part played a factor 
And I, I want to get your thoughts on it here because I feel like you, you'll you have a really good explanation of this, but you've seen this before and it's, it's not going to be the last time we see it as well. No, we're going to hear about this in the NHL playoffs too. Here's the thing. The Kitchener Rangers were fined $5,000 for public comments about officiating. And I think fans get wrapped up into it. And there's always this belief that the London Knights somehow get some sort of advantage. And I'm not sure why that is. I really don't. Other than, you know, they're the New York Yankees of the OHL. They're a team that if you don't have a team to cheer for, you'll just cheer for whoever is playing the London Knights. That kind of thing goes on. Always has. And you know what? It's it's not a bad thing. It's great to have teams like that in sports. It makes things, you know, more emotional. People get fired up when they play that particular team. And so this is great for the OHL that that feeling exists. But in terms of favoritism, no. And here's why I say this. If Friday night and the number of power plays, if that was really about officiating, nobody would have heard about it. Because if there was a true concern about officiating, it wouldn't have been made public. There would have been an email to the league. It would have gone to Ted Baker. It would have expressed, hey, I feel that this was unfair. Here's why. There would have been an email back. Perhaps the London Knights would have been involved in a, a conference call with the Kitchener Rangers in the league. They would have tried to sort things out. They would have had officials involved. That's how it would have played out if this was really about officiating. This wasn't about officiating. This was about an opportunity to see that one team had more power plays than another. I want to look at the two five-on-three situations that the London Knights had, all right? Mm. The, the second penalty on one of them was a slash that knocked the stick out of a player's hand. That is called every single time in hockey now. If you slash a stick and a guy's stick falls out of his hand, that is going to be a penalty every single time the other one was a pick play in center an interference call which is very dangerous it's called every single time so i'm not looking at those penalties and saying wow i mean some of those were were really borderline the numbers though played into the hands of the kitchener rangers coaching staff because what happened they lost 5-1 in game one they lost 8-4 in game two you need to make this about anything other than your team's performance and the classic way to do it. And Mike McKenzie did it well. And you know what, Kyle? It worked. So kudos to Mike McKenzie. Ed. It worked. He made this about the officials. Therefore, his team is not thinking, Ugh, we really aren't playing well. His team is thinking we were treated unfairly. Us against the world. Let's go and get them. That kind of thing can exist. That's what it is. If you believe, and this is for anybody who watches sports, and it doesn't have to be hockey, it doesn't have to be the OHL, it is anything. If you watch sports and you have a favorite team, and that's the team you watch all the time, and you believe that the officials are against your team, here's the problem. You're only watching your team. Watch 10 games that don't involve your team and try and see it from the perspective of either of those clubs, penalties that are called, You'll see things differently. You know, you're, you're not watching enough. No one is against your team. But if you only watch your team, you will believe that. It happens again and again and again. I've been around this game a long time. And I've dealt with a lot of people who believe that their team is unjustly done by, by officials, every single game. They're completely wrong every single time. 
And yeah, you watch the game with an unbiased eye and all of a sudden you start looking at things differently and you go, yeah, I can see why they called that. Or, oh, you know, that makes sense. I can, I can understand maybe that's going to let get, get let go. And then you bring that perspective back to your team and it's not the case whatsoever anymore, but you're absolutely right. Mike, you've been around for, you know, some time you've seen it from all different types of angles. You've seen this uh, tactic used before. And while it was used very well as, you know, as, as you can see, it's not necessarily out to get the, uh, the officials. It was more or less to take the onus and the pressure off of your players and put it on something else. That's not your fault. And like you said, it worked because the power plays in game three were six, four in favor of Kitchener. There you go. But it's not something Dale Hunter was asked about this after the game. Nope. And he thought the officials were good. I thought the officials were good. There were no real questionable calls in the game. But what do you have? You have one team has more power plays than the other. It's going to happen. And it's what happens on those power plays. Kitchener scored on one of the London Knights power plays. And it was a massive goal in the game because it came with 8.7 seconds left. And Kyle, how big are those first goals in the playoffs? Well, so far, the Knights have scored the first goal in their first two games. They went on to win. Kitchener does that in game three. What do you know? They go on and win as well. It gets the crowd fired up, especially if you're at home. You're down to nothing in a series, and you you get a pass to on a breakaway and a shorthanded uh, opportunity with less than 10 seconds left, and you bury. That place is going to go bonkers. That is exactly what happened. And I'm going to make the, uh, make the guess, Mike, that that is going to be the case as well for Tuesday's matchup. The odd is going to be going, but the Knights now get a feel for what the atmosphere is going to be like. They played there earlier this year in the regular season, but it was nowhere near what it felt like on Sunday. I think that that gives them a little bit more of an edge. Now it's just about finding that gear, matching the intensity of the Kitchener Rangers and finding a way to potentially steal a game on the road and then come back home to try and close out the series on Thursday. Hey, the final score was 6-1 in game three. But this was a 2-1 game in the second period. Marco Costantini, credit him. He made two outstanding saves. A second one on Denver Barkey on a rebound with his right pad that was immense. If that's a 2-2 game, the game's different. If the London Knights come out and find a way to score early in the third and, you know, tie the game there, it's a different game. Instead, Kitchener pops two in 29 seconds. And that wins the game for them. Congratulations to them. You know, full marks for them. They up that compete level. They are this good. They're the best eighth place team you're going to find. And now the London Knights have to bring up their compete level to where it was in the first two games. I have no reason to believe that they won't. This is an excellent team. They have handled it well coming out of it saying, yeah, you know, you've got to lose. You're not going to win every game on your way to any kind of championship run. The Knights of that 0405 year, they didn't go 16 and 0. They lost two games. Now it was only two, but they still lost games on their way to winning an OHL championship. You're not going to win every night. And it's how you deal with it. And this room is strong. This team is strong. They've been close the entire year, and they've been like that family that's willing to call each other out. I see that as one of the best signs. I, I agree with that. And I think you're right with uh, saying that this is not a game that the Knights are going to look back on and have in the back of their heads. I think it is crumple the paper up, thrown in the garbage and get ready for game at number four, which you'll be able to hear on 980 CFPL. And there will be a game five in London as well on Thursday. We'll preview that in the podcast episode coming out. Now there's a few other series going around uh, as of right now, North Bay, Barry tied at one Ottawa, Peterborough tied at one and Sarnia has a two nothing lead over Saginaw. 
all of those games will be played on Tuesday as well. But Mike, we also have some other news around a former London Knight who is going to be going overseas for a fun opportunity. You bet. Rob Shrimp has been everywhere in the world, it seems. The pandemic saw him start up a video coaching company, and it has worked really, really well. That's given him this global brand. And now, how global is Rob Shrimp getting? Well, here is what former London Knight Rob Shrimp is doing and where he is doing it as he looks into the future. Former London Knight Rob Shrimp, he will be turning Hong Kong into, who knows, maybe even a hockey power, uh, a country with an awful lot of skill, that's for sure. So that's where Rob Shrimp is heading next. Kyle, next up for us, we'll wait and see what happens in game number four. Make sure you get your tickets for game five at LondonKnights.com or at 519-681-0800. Oh, it's going to be an absolute blast, Mike. As you said, you have got the call for that one on 980 CFPL. We will come back on Thursday to do another podcast episode to recap that game number four and preview game five because we know there will be game five. Tickets are available, I believe, uh, as of this podcast being dropped for that game. If you want to go to LondonKnights.com. And, well, Mike, you can follow us on socials, as always, at Stubbs982Bs, at Kyle Grimard, G-R-I-M-A-R-D. Should be a bananas atmosphere for game number four, and we'll get ready to go to break that down and get set for game five on Thursday. Go Knights, go. Go.